0: we <laughs>
1: guys welcome back to another episode of the leadership download my name is travis van Dizen back here with my friend cameron singh today we have another special guest with us today max story max Story. he is a friend of ours from atlanta georgia who is a uh a leadership coach and uh, a lot more than that but uh, mac we'll let you introduce yourself
2: yeah it's good to be with you travis and cameron thank you thank you guys for for having me on the show, it's always a privilege. Privilege to support people who want to grow and develop other people. That's that's people I want to hang out with and and uh, invest my time with. I'm not spending time with you guys tonight. I mean I'm investing it. I think both of y'all probably understand that. But uh, just a little background on me. My I started in the manufacturing industry from 1988 to 2008. I basically worked in multi-billion-dollar global organizations. First 10 years I was frontline entry-level factory worker operating. CNC lays, mills and drills and all that sort of stuff. Then I accidentally started getting better along the way and, and, and started moving up and kind of had engineering roles. Although I didn't have an engineering degree, I, I eventually got a bachelor of business degree. But uh, I did a lot of engineering things. I did CNC programming, CAD, drafting, setting up manufacturing sales, process engineering, cost estimation engineering, all that sort of stuff. And, and then I became a lean coordinator lean manager and quality manager but mainly lean was my focus beginning around 2005 and and uh, I did that until 2008 and I resigned we had a lot of success I had a great leader best leader I ever reported to those last 3 years and and we uh, actually went from minus 3% gross profit margin to plus 35% gross profit margin in just 3 years and I was learning to lead lean and everybody in there was learning to, to do lean you know with me leading them and and then 2008, I resigned in the middle of the great recession just to show people how smart I was and, <laughs> and, uh, went to zero and f- tried to figure out how to start my own consulting business. And that actually went pretty well. And by 2012, I decided I didn't want to do lean manufacturing consulting any longer and, and shifted over into the, uh, people development, leadership development and people development side of, side of things. And that's, that's what I've been doing since 2012. And that's why I'm on your show, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I I don't I don't think we can go any further, you know, with talking here with Mac is without, you know, really starting to talk about high impact leader. You know, you were the you were the person that that almost coined that in my mind. Uh, I had never I had never heard anybody say that so often in every one of your books. That's kind of what you kind of circle, put everything around is, is. So what is a high impact leader? Let's start there.
2: Okay. And if you don't mind, I will to tell you why I use that term and, and I'll tell you what it is too. Yeah. The, the reason I started using it because, you know, anybody who studies leadership development, they always hear and learn about the difference between management and leadership. And everybody doesn't know that, though. A lot of people think it's all the same thing being a boss, being a manager, being a leader, it's all the same exact thing. So I wanted to simplify it because you ain't always got time to teach everybody the difference between management and leadership, but you pretty much can tell. Somebody that someone's a high impact leader or a low impact leader. They kind of figure out a lot of it on their own just by telling the two terms. So what I talk when I use the term high impact leader, what I mean is a a leader who is developing themselves with the intent of developing others. I mean, that's the that's that's why I do what I do. I I started growing and developing me uh, originally to focus on myself. And then I saw that what I was learning was actually valuable to other people just by my testimony of how my life was changing because I, I had to do a lot of work on personal transformation. And I think I saw <laughs> you, I'm sure that's one of the books you had a minute ago when you were talking to me oh, yeah. about those books. And you, so if you read it, you finished that book, right? Travis. Yep. So, you know, you know about some of my story, I had a lot of a lot of personal stuff to overcome and most people would think I was just normal. But as I started learning about leadership development, I found out I might be just normal, but not normal. Ain't what's expected of, of a leader.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know in one of your books you talk about, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize <laughs> the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And uh I, I find that the same for me. Things that I see as normal or used to see as normal, now I see them as things I don't need in my life anymore, or things I need to take to another, another level. So uh absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It seems like every step you take, you you, you kind of see another 50 feet in front of you and you realize, you know, you don't know anything at all.
2: Yeah. I call it dumber by the book. And <laughs> and you know, I, I should get smarter every time I read a book and I'm sure I get a little bit smarter, but I, I realize how much more dumber I am than I do how much smarter I am because, you know, I learn a lot of stuff. Really, I don't, I shouldn't say learn. I learn a little bit of stuff when I read a book, but I'm exposed to a lot of new stuff when I read a book. And I haven't learned all of that stuff. I'm just aware of it. And so I got to study it. I got to read other books. I may read a book that's got quotes from some other author or a reference to another book. And that leads to another book. and, And the more you learn after a certain amount of growing and developing your circle of knowledge, I call the outside edge of it your perimeter of awareness. And then everything beyond that is your area of ignorance. You're not even, you know, you don't even know you're ignorant to that stuff that's out there. But there's some things we're aware of. But we don't know it. And what I say is that the bigger our circle of knowledge gets, the bigger our perimeter of awareness gets. So the more we learn, we become, you know, aware of what we don't know. And there's a certain spot relative to personal growth and leadership development. that I don't know how to explain what that spot is, but there's a certain spot that once you cross it, you you can't go back. You, you, you're you aware of too much. And I always tell people when I'm in a room teaching, I, if there's a whiteboard, I'll put a dot on the on the whiteboard, you know, I'll put a dot up there and I'll say, I'll say you ever met anybody that if they don't know, you can't tell them. I'll mm-hmm. say if you have that, that dot represents their circle of knowledge. They don't know much about what they're talking about, which means their perimeter of awareness is very, very tiny. So they don't even know what they're unaware of. I mean, I'm sure both of you guys have met folks like that in your life. If they don't know you and nobody else is going to tell them. I've been that person. <laughs> oh, I've been that person too, that's a good point. You know, it's relative to different things, right? Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Cameron, do you have anything to add?
0: Yeah, uh, actually I actually had a question. You mentioned um, the, regarding uh, your um, response to high high impact leader. Uh, you mentioned you know d- developing yourself for the purpose of developing and mentoring others. Why is that important in being uh, a leader or being a high impact leader?
2: Uh, the number one reason I think is because being a high-impact leader, the way I talk about it, the reason that's important is because high-impact leaders value other people. And, you, you know, being being a leader, is it's not about me, but it starts with me. Just like today. I, I, it ain't about me today here speaking with you, but I promise you it started with me because I had to start working on me to get in front of you. But relative to me having a team, if I'm leading leading a team, those people have to feel valued. And to me, there's no better way to to feel valued or to value a leader than if that leader is trying to help you have a better life. And part of what I teach is always it's not just about work. I mean, whenever I speak about leadership inside of a company, I talk as much or more about how much it's going to help you at home. And I talk and I tell the, the leaders I'm teaching and training, trying to develop if you'll just focus on helping your people live a life where they can have a better life at home, you can't hardly run them off. And, and y'all mm. probably know, I don't know y- your, your background where you worked your entire life, but you probably worked in places where you wish some people would leave. They don't even like working there and you can't run them off. <laughs> yeah. you, you you can't run off a bad person. Try to ru- try running off somebody who loves the leader and, you know, loves a word that don't get thrown around a lot in the blue collar industries. We always try to act like we tough and hard and crusty and, got this big defense up and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, that's what it is. High impact leadership is nothing more than servant leadership. But again, some people don't like that word. But it's, mm-hmm. if you know what servant leadership is, it's the same exact thing. I just use a word that applies to everybody because I'm all about influence. So I don't want to use a word that will turn some people off and help some people. I try to use everything I teach. I try to teach it in a way that anybody would want to embrace mm-hmm. it. No matter what your political belief is, where you come from, how you live your life, it doesn't matter. All you got to do is value character and you'll like what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, that's great. And now going into uh, what you talk about, blue collar leadership and, and uh, supervision, you mentioned every high impact leader's journey begins in the mirror. Um, can you expand on that and unpack that for us and what what that means for people that want to strive towards leadership or those That are watching that are currently leaders
2: yeah maybe i can maybe i can get to the point in just a little simple story a lot of times when i'm speaking especially speaking at conferences or things like that a lot of times leaders will come up and and uh they'll start saying yeah i heard everything you said you blah 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 and all this stuff but but let me tell you about my team (laughs) And they start telling me what's wrong with their team and i listen i'm you know i'm always a nice guy i always listen and as soon as they get finished telling me how bad their team is and how bad everybody they work with is and their peers and their coworker and their boss, you know you know how how it is sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I say, uh, what 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 leadership book are you reading right now? <laughs> what you think What you think the answer usually is? Most often nothing. I don't I don't read <laughs> or I don't like to read. That's that's as soon as I hear that, I mean I already know the issue. But as soon as I hear that, I know the real issue. That that leader It's not focused on the mirror. That leader didn't walk up to me and start saying, I struggle with listening to my team or my team doesn't trust me. And I don't know why or I don't communicate well with my team or my team says I don't communicate. Right. That's looking in the mirror, because I promise you, when you look in the mirror, you can change anything in your world. Because when you change your world changes. And so when I'm talking about high impact leadership begins with in the mirror, When I'm teaching, I say, if you're a high-impact leader, fault fault is kind of a bad word to use, but everybody understands it. Responsibility could be another word, but I say, it's my fault. It's my responsibility. Whatever it is on my team, whatever's going wrong on my team, it's my fault. I didn't train them. I didn't develop them. I didn't spend time with them. And maybe I don't know what I don't know. That means I haven't been growing and developing. It's one reason I've been reading every day since 2008. Because I still have challenges in life. That's why I'm still saying, I mean, I know a lot about leadership, but it still begins in the mirror, starts in the mirror with me. I got to get better. Also, I want to be a role model, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to tell you I read every day authentically and with integrity. But it's it's the reason I've written so many books. It's the reason that, that I've gotten to do what I'm doing is because I looked in the mirror. I didn't focus out the window. I don't know mm-hmm. if that really answered your question about this. But you can ask, you know, a little bit more in depth if you want something specific that I didn't say.
0: No, that's good. That's good.
1: No. So so I would ask this, though. So when you when you go through this kind of this mirror process, right. um, Obviously, knowing your background, like you said, you've had many, many things that you've had to work through over the years. (laughs) Um, But, you know, as you as you kind of go through and these things come into your awareness, you know, um, do you do you attack them based off obviously each 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 situation is going to have its own problems. And I mean, how do you, how do you go about attacking those things to try to uh, properly, you know, bring yourself forward, you know, through, you know, let's say, you know, I remember one of the things you said is you, you drink for many years and then suddenly you, you stopped drinking. I mean, I love that part of this, your story too. Um, But how did you, how did you make that happen?
2: yeah ultimately everything everything you guys are talking about have talked about so far and probably will talk about is all about your values every mm. everything that we do is based on our values i had to you know to stop the drinking i had to i valued something more than I valued drinking i had tried to stop drinking a lot of times in my life just because I thought it'd be a good idea but it didn't ever happen until I valued helping other people and being being a good role model i mean that's I had to value being a good role model and So that's, that's when I stopped doing that. And I'll give you another example. Just recently I'm 51 years old and recently I went to the doctor for my checkup, like November for my annual physical checkup. And I don't like medicines. I don't want to take medicines. I don't mind the good part of taking the medicine, the part that helps you, but I don't want all the side effects that come with it. I mean, if you read, if you read all that stuff, you'd never take any medicine. And I don't want to take any of the medicine, but anyway, my cholesterol was getting up. My blood pressure was getting up, not high, but it was kind of borderline. And, and, uh, I told him, I said, let me see what I can do to, to work on it myself. I said, I don't want to take pills. I just want to make a choice because most things in life, all we have to do is make a choice. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people out there. They get up every morning. They they pray. If they're spiritual, they pray. They pray, you know, if they're spiritual for, for God to do whatever he needs to do for them. And he's already done it. He's gave them freedom of choice. And he's for most of the people he's gave them gave them the information they need just to make a different choice. So I, I went home, talked to Rhea. I started drinking raw fruit and vegetable juice every day in, in uh, 2018. Quit drinking sodas in 2018. I drink water or raw fruit and vegetable juice and, you know, make them at home out of organic vegetables, that kind of thing. My health changed tremendously just from that. So I went home, talked to Rhea. She's all into the health and food and fitness. And I said, uh, told her what the doctor said. I said, I got to get my cholesterol down, my blood pressure, what what I need to do. And I'm telling you right now, I'm giving you an example of what you ask because mm-hmm. be, I'm proactive. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, dog, okay, what kind of pill can you give me? Uh-huh. That's saying you're the responsible, doctor. I looked in the mirror sitting in the room. I mean, I didn't ever look out the window and say he was responsible. He's, I'm listening to him, but I don't do what a lot of people do and think he's He's supposed to fix me. I'm supposed to fix me. I'm responsible. till I've done all I can do, I don't need him. I need to keep doing what I can do. Uh-huh. And so she says, you got to cut out animal protein because I'm going to tell you guys, I don't know what y'all eat. But up until till that day in the doctor's office I I, I like meat three times a day every mm-hmm. day. And I don't care if there was anything else on the plate. I'd be happy. And I, there usually wasn't much else on the plate. <laughs> but real is like you got to cut out animal protein. So I came I went from three times a day to three times a week. And mm. and I don't have to eat much because of the raw fruit and vegetable juice, but i started started cooking me a lot of, you know, healthy meals and uh you know, a lot of your listeners too, they may say, What's all this food stuff got to do with leadership? Well, the first person you got to lead well is yourself. If you want to lead high, other people who are high impact leaders who lead themselves well, they're looking for you to lead yourself well. And that, you know, this covers a whole lot of questions that you guys have been answering, but I made that change and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's harder than quit drinking. It was harder than partying. It's harder than anything I've ever quit doing was quit eating meat that's the hardest thing mm. and uh, i think i quit eating chocolate either I quit eating meat but <laughs> but, but i did it i went back to the doctor just uh, last week and my cholesterol was down 50 points it was down 20 percent my blood pressure was like perfect i mean it was just off the charts like perfect and uh he said instead of seeing you every six months he said now i see you every year again he said i've been watching you because it's been easing up he said but you obviously got that figured out So that's that's what I'm talking about is you got to be really it don't matter what it is. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you if your child's failing in school, how am I responsible? Maybe instead of watching TV for three hours a night when I get home, I need to be learning whatever my child's learning, building a relationship, Mm -hmm. helping the child. And instead of going off fishing and golfing and hunting on the weekends, maybe I need to be building a relationship with my child or it could be something new with your spouse. It doesn't matter. It could be your boss. And you talked about this, Travis, the way that I teach. You're the leader. I don't care what your title is. You're the leader. If there's something wrong between you and your boss, you're responsible. How do you lead so well that you're leading a boss to make that relationship better? That's that's what I teach people. John Maxwell calls it 360 degree leadership. I just call it you the leader. Jocko Alink from Extreme, Extreme Ownership. He says somebody asked him one time, what I do if my boss won't lead? He's like, lucky you. You lead <laughs> high impact leaders, high impact people. They, they know this, they lead themselves well. And and I try to do it. I'm, I'm not perfect. I ain't saying that, but I've got a lot of results. A lot of things have changed in my life. And, and, uh, I just want to do the best to, to be a good example. When I started down this journey, I went and got John Maxwell certified and trained and that kind of stuff back in August, 2012. I didn't have any books, but it, John kind of let me stand on his, shoulders and teach from his books and I told Eric when we left my son Eric I said how can I how can I pay him back and that's when I quit using profanity because I had already quit drinking but when I left there I quit using profanity I said if I'm gonna use his brand and talk about his brand and say he mentors me and I'm licensed to teach his stuff I need to represent him well and I, I used to be the guy if I had if I said a one word sentence, I had two words of profanity. That's the only way I could talk. <laughs> mm. and, and I don't use those words anymore. And, and then I also told Eric, I said, what's going to separate me from everybody else that does this? Especially, you know, I, I was 40 something years old. I was kind of behind the eight ball as far as time goes. And my background, blue collar, blue collar people don't really do what I do very much. And uh, I said, what's going to separate me? And I told him, I said, it's going to be the degree that I attempt to live what I teach. That's going to be my competitive advantage. And I mean, I think about it in everything that I do. I, I got a one acre yard and I cut it with a push more because I want to exercise. You know, my neighbors probably think I'm poor or, <laughs> or I don't know what they think, but they probably think you ought to buy a riding more. But I don't want to ride more. I'm on, I'm on a different mission.
1: That's so good. That's so good. And it, really, the, the main piece there is, is, is it takes work, right? And everything that you've done it takes work, you know, to get to that, to get that final product. So moving on to another area that I think that um, you speak to so well is, you know, is that out of, you know, specifically out of your book, the blue collar leadership and culture book um, you said that, and this, this, this uh, quote slapped me in the face when I heard it the first (laughs) time in your book says that the culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior. The leader is willing to tolerate. And right under that, you put culture equals character and character equals culture. And, you know, the reality is million, companies spend millions of dollars a year these days trying to uh, bring consultants in, bring people like you in to, to help build a culture um, for their company. But they, they really fail to develop themselves. And it really starts with um, what you talk about is char- character and integrity. So kind of unpack, well, you know, what does character integrity mean to you in your leadership journey?
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the character is everything. I mean, char- character is who we are. It's why we do what we do. It's is how we do what we do. A lot of people, when you talk character, every time I talk on stage, I got to explain it because I know a lot of people think character means you're good or bad. A lot of times if you ask people what's character, that's what they say. It means you're good or bad. It does mean you're good or bad, but it also means every single thing that you are. It could be good or bad. It could be you could be good in one area of your life, bad in another area of your life. You could you could say, I'm a, I'm going to meet you for this podcast at eight o'clock and I show up at eight ten. I may be a great guy, but that was a bad character. I was late. And, I, you know, if people a lot of times people walk into a meeting, first thing they say, if they ain't there on time, guess what they say? Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> I mean, that's what people if they if they at least halfway decent, they say, sorry, I'm late. I'm <laughs> just walking in, don't say anything. But they don't walk in and say, I'm sorry, I lied to you. If you tell somebody you're going to be at a meeting, you ain't at the meeting. You lied to them. And so a lot of people don't understand because we use all these words and to try to sugarcoat who we are and what we're doing. And we hold other people uh, accountable for, for for their intentions or their actions, but we hold ourselves account to our intentions. Like if I'm late, I got a good excuse. I'm just late and I know why. If you're late, then I'm going to blame you for being late like you don't have a, a good excuse. <laughs> But Dr. Henry Cloud, I love his definition of character. And he's got a book called Integrity. It's it's probably where I learned this from. I don't don't remember exactly, but I know Dr. Henry Cloud said it. And he says, character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. And Mm -hmm. I, I love that definition. And he also says integrity is the courage to meet the demands of reality. See, when that doctor told me I had high blood pressure or was getting there, it wasn't there yet, but it was borderline in the same way with my cholesterol, did, did I have the character to meet the demands of reality? I did because I went and adjusted my life. If I would have said, hey, doc, give me a pill, I don't have the character to, to meet the demands of reality, and, and a lot of people, they don't really understand it like that, and my book, Defining Influence, I really go deep talking about character and trust and integrity, but is highly, highly important as a leader, a high-impact leader, because the foundation of leadership, you know, I learned this from John Maxwell, is trust. But in my book, Defining Influence, I say, okay, if trust is the foundation of leadership, what's the foundation of trust? And what I teach is it's our intention. But there's two things that we're going to either – I'm either going to try to manipulate you or either I'm trying to motivate you. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to motivate you, we both have mutual benefit. I win and you win. Habit four from the seven habits of the highly effective people, win-win, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going for win-win, I've got motivational intent, and that's a foundation for us to build trust. Don't mean we have trust, but it means we got the right foundation that now we can go build trust. But if I'm looking for to manipulate you, only, I'm looking only for my own benefit, there's never going to be a foundation for trust hmm because you feel manipulated and so from a leadership standpoint if I understand that I know that I'm gonna have to deal with different people different ways at different reasons for different reasons at different times because I could talk to you two right now and I know Cameron is into this or he wouldn't be on the show but let's say he was not into this and I just somehow got you two to talk to <laughs> and, and Travis I know you I know you value this stuff Cameron I don't know you but Somebody told me you don't value this stuff. Not literally, right? Just as in my story here. And so I'm talking about this. Travis feeling motivated. You feeling manipulated. I'm the same exact person talking about the same exact stuff. This is what happened when I go into a room and speak to people. You know, I'm just using you guys as an example. I know y'all gung-ho about leadership and stuff. But when I'm in a room speaking to people, a lot of people have been voluntold to be there. They didn't volunteer (laughs) to be there. Those who are a volunteer, they sitting there with their arms crossed, looking up, waiting at their watch, You know, looking down, not paying any attention. That's one of the reasons when I first speak, one of the first things I say a lot of times, not all the time, but I say, first thing y'all need to know, I didn't come talk to everybody. I come to talk to somebody and I ain't going to know who somebody is till I get done. Whoever you are, you'll be up at the book table wanting to talk or you'll be friending me on Facebook or connecting on LinkedIn. And I say, if your boss told you to be here. And you don't want to be here. If it's up to me, I'll let you go now because I didn't come talk to you. Mm. But if you have to be here, I'm going to teach you something right now to apply in your whole rest of your life is you need to mine the gold and dump the dirt. You may yeah. not like a lot of what I got to say. That's the dirt. If you got to sit in a room, you got to be in the room, be present and, and listen for some gold nuggets. And if they really go, they'll help you go get a job somewhere else. They help make your life better. So, The number one thing to answer your question was the deal about trust is the foundation of leadership. Intention is the foundation of trust. And that's why you got to bring people. You got to as a leader, you got to cast your vision. We're talking about blue collar leadership and culture in that book. I talk about the foundation of culture is the top leaders values. Everything in the company is due to that leader's values. You know, a lot of times people invite me and they've never done anything like what I do, especially in blue collar industries. So when I go there, I use the leader as an example. I say, have y'all ever done anything like this? You know, after I get going and they're like, no, I said, your leader is changing his values or her values. That's the only reason I would be in the room. What got them here ain't going to get them where they want to go. And they realize that and they're growing. So I make, you know, I make examples of the leader actually living stuff that I talk about in the book. That book, though, is a it's a roadmap on how to become the sought after employer of choice in your industry. So you're attracting great people and retaining top talent. Instead of doing what most companies do is moan and groan that they can't find any good people. <laughs> you never hear the good leaders at the good companies. They don't ever say that, though. They never say that. I don't ever hear that from from my top clients, the good folks or people I know that work at top companies. I don't ever hear them complaining about they can't find good people. Mm. But I hear low-impact leaders complain in front of a group of people that they can't find good people. Like I'm the boss and I got 50 of my team members sitting there and and I'll say, Matt, we just can't find any good people. What's wow. that I say about the 50 people sitting there already?
1: <laughs> that none of them are any good.
2: <laughs> it's pretty sad, man. I mean, words matter. When you're a leader, words matter. Words, action, behavior, everything. It's under a microscope. You know, I was
1: recently having a kind of a coaching conversation with uh, one of my supervisors um, where, I, where we worked both of us are in the aviation industry both of okay. us are both of us are at that general manager level okay um, with um, different companies but uh we were having a conversation and this and this particular supervisor was was complaining to me that you know he was having some issues with some employees showing up on time and um, so we started we started let I let him do his thing and then I, I stopped and asked us so what time do you did you get here today and he says well i was about 15 minutes late and i said okay that's that's where this whole thing starts right mm-hmm. i said it, if if you're asking your employees to show up on t- on time but yet you're not setting that same standard for yourself then that's a that's a character issue that's a, that is a not setting the standard issue you know and then i i had that conversation and then literally hours later <laughs> I'm doing a, I'm doing a consulting call with another aviation business that I've worked with and, and we're having this exact same conversation with another, you know, another manager who's, you know, complaining about staffing issues and staffing problems. And I'm like, so, you know, are you showing up on time when you're asking your team to show up on time? Are you, you know, are you sticking in there and and holding yourself to the same standards as everybody else? Because it's like you said, it, we, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge everybody else by the their results. And that doesn't go very far with people, especially these days.
2: Yeah. And what you just described, I call it co-signing. When you come in late, you just co-signed. Everybody else could come in late. You yeah. may not like it, but you just co-signed. I tell leaders, you know, if you expect a place to be clean, you walk out in the shop floor or the factory or wherever it is you work if you, and you expect it to be clean, you walk by some trash. If you don't pick it up, you just co-sign no nobody else had to pick it up. Yeah. A lot of times though a low impact leader will walk by the trash, go over there and find somebody and tell them they need to clean up the area. Yeah. And all that does is ensure that they ain't too worried about keeping the area clean.
1: <laughs> That's absolutely true. My wife my wife works for uh, Chick-fil-A and, and okay. she and uh Dan Dan Kathy, he's known when he visits the stores and he's he's he walks around the parking lot, picks trash up. He's he uh you know he he won't ask his employees to do anything that he wouldn't be willing to do himself or hasn't done himself, which uh just sets that tone at the,
2: at the highest level. Yeah, um, man. And that's Can I share a story about him real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So we were at a John Maxwell event back in 2012 or 13 and Dan Cathy was, they were doing actually the Chick-fil-A operators. They do a big conference and they were, they were coming into that hotel after we we were leaving. And so John knows Dan and he got Dan to come in and speak. He didn't really want to, he he said, you know, asked Dan, he had to coax him up to the stage. And Dan was just in there listening to John. And And he asked, John asked him to come up and he's he said, just, you know, tell us what it, you know, servant leadership looks like at Chick-fil-A. And Dan got up there. He said, I, I'll tell you what it looks like. He says, when I pull into the co- co- company, the corporate headquarters, he said, I park in the parking spot farthest away from the front door. He said, nobody at that company is going to walk farther to the front, get to the front door than I do. He said, "I pick up trash on the way in, and I pick up trash on the way out." He said, "I don't have to tell people to pick up trash." He said, "They hardly ever is any trash." So I was there later. Chick Fil A was a client of ours for three years, uh, a, a store in in Alabama, and I got to know Jimmy Collins later. After that, actually, it was during during that time. I found he was a former president and COO of Chick Fil A. I got to know him in 2015 because I saw his book on LinkedIn and kind of followed him down and. Set up a call with him, got to know him, and he's been a personal friend and mentor since then. And I got to go see him. I just talked to him the other day, make sure I can come see him now. COVID kind of passed by, everybody's mm-hmm. vaccinated and stuff. He's like, Yeah, man, come on. So I'm maybe next week or two. But anyway, I was at the Chick fil A headquarters to meet with Deanne Turner, who was a, a she's retired now, but she was the former uh, VP of talent, HR. In most places they call it VP of talent. And I asked I was asking her about the story about Dan. She said, "Oh yeah, that's absolutely true." She said, "But have you heard about Jimmy what Jimmy does?" And Jimmy retired after 33 years as as COO and president in 2001. He's in his 80s now. Hmm. I said, "No, what's Jimmy do?" So, when you get off the it's not an interstate, but it's kind of like an interstate. You get off that main road, you kind of go off the on-ramp, off-ramp, take a left, cross back over, and then you turn into the Chick-fil-A headquarters. You know, it's kind of like get off the exit, there it is. She said it was nothing to see Jimmy out on the off ramp with his emergency flashers on picking up trash on the off ramp of the expressway. And so I thought that was just awesome. And then so later I see Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, let me ask you about this. And I told him the story. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, Mac. He said, he said, he said, you got to love Jimmy. Jimmy is awesome. He says, He said, Mac, I wanted people when they got close to Chick-fil-A, I wanted them to already start noticing that we were different. He said, so I picked up trash. He said, but you know what was funny, Mac? After I did it a few times, I'd be going in and I was going to stop and do it. And there'd be two or three cars out there with emergency flashes picking picking up trash. Other Chick-fil-A folks, he didn't tell them to do it. They saw him do it, so they started doing it. Everybody's watching. Everybody's a role model. High impact leaders are definitely role models. Somebody's always watching. Oh, man, that's so true.
0: Cameron, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, everyone is watching every move you make. And, you know, they say, you know, being the example is so important. Um, But now kind of moving the conversation on, you know, there's, you know, our audience is kind of new and those young leaders. And oftentimes, these new and young leaders stepping into roles, where they're feeling, you're backfilling a position that someone that's been in there for 20, 30 years, and, They want to develop a great culture for their team. They have all these great ideas, but where does someone start in terms of creating that great culture for for their team?
2: Yeah, I'm going to tell you the book to read, and then I'm going to tell you some of the answer to it. But my book that Travis was talking about, Blue Collar Leadership and Culture, the five components for building high-performance teams, I wrote that book for the top-level leader, like the business owner or CEO. But a supervisor, a general manager, an ops manager—anybody can read that and do it from their level and below. And if they don't have buy-in from above, they can use that book to gain buy-in from their leaders. Once they start getting results, and the leader wants to know where you're getting all, what's changing, say, "Hey, I got a book for you, boss," and give them that book. But that's what that book is—literally a roadmap. It's yep, that's it, Travis. It's based on uh, something my wife and I developed—the transformation equation. Basically, that equation's got the five components. It says leadership development plus unifying purpose. I mean, plus, yeah, plus buy-in plus unifying purpose plus competency plus execution equals transformation. Mm -hmm. So leadership development, buy-in, unifying purpose, competency, execution. When any of them components are missing, though, you get something different because leadership is influence. So when leadership development is missing, The leader is frustrated. So if you're a frustrated leader, remember, we look in the mirror, we take responsibility. If I'm frustrated as a leader for any reason, it's because I don't have influence somewhere. Either down the org chart or to the left and right on the org chart or above me on the org chart. It's meaning I don't have influence. And so if I don't have buy-in, there's going to be resistance. If people don't know the why behind what we're doing and what I'm doing as a leader, there's going to be confusion. If we don't have the competency and that book is all about leadership competency, it ain't about competency to do your job. So without competency, th- there's going to be anxiety. Without execution, there's going to be stagnation without any of those things are going to be chaos. And that's what's normal in a lot of places. The reason I told you that example of that, well, first of all, I want people to know what's in the book and, and you can actually go to bluecollarleadership.com forward slash download. And you can read the first five chapters of all five of my blue collar books. You ain't got to put in an email. I ain't going to spam you. You ain't got to subscribe to anything. It's like right there when you go. There it is. You can just read it. And in that book and right now, competency is what's missing. Most of the time people do a good job. That's usually who gets promoted in blue collar industries, white collar too. But we, you know, in blue collar industries, whoever does a great job, that's pretty much if you hire from within, that's who's going to get promoted. I mean, if you promote from within, they're going to get the job and what it takes for you to do a good job is completely different for what it takes for you to motivate and inspire someone else to do a good job. That's completely different. So, but most people just get promoted. They get given the title and the authority and, and then they turn them loose hmm. because they think they already know how to do the job. Now you got to do is lead, you know, be the boss and it's no problem being the boss. You can be the boss with authority and your title, but being a leader, you got to go to, you got to go to work. So the one thing I'd want, young leaders to know is especially somebody who's never had a leadership position. When you get given a leadership position, you are not at the top of the leadership mountain. You're at the bottom of the leadership mountain. Yep. Somebody plucked you out of the forest, brought you over because they saw potential in you and set you at the base of the mountain. But I'm going to tell you this, you can't climb to the top of the high impact leadership mountain with base camp character. You can hmm. be a boss, But to get up that mountain, you got to build relationships. You got to grow and develop your influence. And when you get to the top of that leadership mountain, it means you're getting great results based on great relationships. But the way you become, you're not a high impact leader though, because you got great relationships and you got great results, and you're on top of the mountain. That's what not. That's not what makes you a high impact leader. That's what makes you a great leader. You want to be a high-impact leader, you got to go down the mountain and start bringing people up Mm -hmm. the mountain. That's what's going to separate you, and most people won't do that. It it requires a much higher degree of sacrifice for me to go down and get you because all I want to do is get to the top of the mountain and enjoy the view. That's what most people want to do, but a few people want to go down and bring other people up to help them enjoy the view, and that's what I think I'm doing. That's what I think you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm happy to be on your podcast. Because we on, we're on the same mission, we going down, getting other folks, bringing them back, helping them get to the top. It ain't about us, but it starts with us. But young leaders, you got to know you've got to grow and develop yourself. Your boss may not ever in your life do it. I worked multi-billion-dollar global companies twenty years, never did they spend one penny or one minute introducing me or teaching me any of the stuff that I talk about. Hmm. Never. A frontline co-worker shared an audio, a one-hour audio with me in 2005. I didn't listen to it to 2008, and you all understand, it changed my life. All I did, frontline guy give me an audio of the seven habits of highly effective people. A one-hour overview. Been reading every day since. Spoke at Yale University on blue-collar leadership. I mean, I've done some pretty crazy things that I never imagined. In the U.S. Navy, you know, they bought 2,000 books. Went out and did 10 half-day workshops with those folks out in San Diego. And I tell people, none of that was ever the goal. The goal was only just to get better right here in the mirror. The rest of it will take care of itself. You do the work right here. The rest of it will take care of itself.
1: Mm. That's so good. I just want to stay on this thing about young leaders, kind of that first time leader. Um, How important is it that you have your
2: values figured out before you become a leader? Uh, it's, it's pretty important if you want to be successful when you become a leader. Yeah, and, and I mean successful as a high impact leader. You can, you can be successful as a, a manager of people, treating people like objects. You can become wealthy. You can be a multi-millionaire, billionaire, have poor character. But you got to understand. I'm assuming when you're asking me that, and I'm, and I know you are talking about high impact leadership. Mm-hmm. You either gonna have your values before you get the position. Are you going to develop your values after you get the position? Are you never going to be a high-impact leader? you you got to develop those values. And if you don't have them, first thing you got to do is when you get to be the boss, you, you take that pride and ego and toss it out the window and be a humble leader and say, hey, I ain't never done this before. I ain't never led people like you before. I ain't never led anybody except for me. And we in this thing together. So what I'm going to do is do my best to help you shine. Y'all help me help you, and they don't believe you at the beginning, because ain't nobody else probably ever done that for them. But you got to see, you report to those folks. That's the way they they're serving. You know, if I'm talking to them, I'm saying they serving the boss. If I'm talking to the boss, I'm saying you serving the team. And you can switch the word if you don't like serving. You can change it to help. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. The boss is here to help the team. The team's here to help the boss it's kind of like a special ops ops team <clears throat> position titles, all that doesn't matter. We all have specific competencies and things like that. that we're better at than others, but I'll follow you. You follow me. We're just going to make it happen. But the values, you know, I didn't even understand about values. till I started reading all the time and sat an example of what, <laughs> what my values were and what they were not and what people of high character, what their values looked like. And, and and uh, that that's why I think leaders. See, the best leader I ever reported to, he never taught me this kind of stuff. He just modeled it. <clears throat> he was the best leader I ever had. I love him to death. I still do. I talk about him in my books. He's a good guy. He was in the military, I guess, twenty years. He 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 got some good medals, and and he was a commanding officer of an infantry unit and a military police unit. But his fault is. He never taught us this kind of stuff. He never introduced. He was one of the leaders who never introduced me to any of the books and that sort of thing. But he could have. He would have sped it up. He did a very important thing was he taught it so we could catch it. The only ones who caught it were those of us who were looking for it. If he would teach the principles and model the principles, then we could catch it a lot faster. We would know what we were looking for. And that's what I encourage leaders to do, especially with, with young leaders. The problem is most of the time the leader of the young leaders don't know it either. Yeah. And there's there's CEOs and business owners who don't know this stuff because you do not have to know this stuff to be a high caliber executive making millions of dollars, leading tens of thousands of people. And that's another thing that's wrong. A lot of those people write books and call them leadership books. Mm -hmm. And People who don't know about this stuff, they're so confused. They read one book full of management principles and it's got a leadership title on the book. And then they read another one. You know, you read five books from five people. It's gonna all unless they're talking about principles. It's gonna be full of all different types of practices.
1: <clears throat> no, that's so true. I I I can't overstate enough in the importance of understanding the, my values. And as I've as I've grown my career and I've worked for a couple different companies, um, there has been at least two times that I know that if I had not. Predecided what my values were going to be, um, I would have been I would have been putting myself in a super compromising situation. But because I had already pre pre set myself to say this is this is what this is my values, this is what I'm not willing to do. I mean, this is not how, what I'm willing to do with working you know leaving the team. Yep. Um, and I I departed from that company fairly quickly, um, because I knew ahead of time. That I wasn't going to compromise, you know, the way I lead lead my lead my team. Um, but if you don't, if you don't have that kind of preset, you know, you'll start looking at oh, paycheck. Do I really want to go look for another job? And then you say, okay, well, I'll just compromise a little bit. And pretty soon, you're just like everybody else around you.
2: Yeah, uh, that's usually what happens. As it happens, even on the front line level, it happens at every level, really. But a lot of leaders know more about the front because a lot of times, you know, they they know what's going on. But I always. I'll say you ever get any of those people in, they just come in. I mean, they're like a rock star. They on your team. It don't matter what level they're at. They just report to you. They're they are a rock star. They're tearing it up. You got you see th- this awesome person and you got great expectation. Then something happens after a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Then they kind of they just lose that edge, right? Mm-hmm. I asked the leaders, I said, You you want to know what happens to them? You. Uh-huh. You happen to them. They come in ready to go. So there was nothing wrong with them when they showed up. <clears throat> but it's your lack of leadership, either you directly with them or you of the team or whatever you're allowing to happen in the organization. <clears throat> it's like if, if I am the boss and you're a rock star and you show up and I got somebody on my team who's toxic, who who's, they perform well, but they really toxic to the team. If I if I let them stay, it's the same thing you talked about earlier. If I let them stay, I just co-signed. It's okay to be a jerk on the team Mm -hmm. and you're going to lose your best people because you won't get rid of the jerk. I mean, character is huge when you're a formal authority leader because when the team knows there's a jerk, they know the leader knows there's a jerk. When the, when the, when that leader leaves the jerk on the team, he's losing integrity or she's losing integrity with everybody else on the team because they know the leader won't do what they need to do. That's, that's another example of integrity at an at in the leadership position a lot of times leaders won't get rid of that person because they're gonna have to carry the load or they're gonna have to hire somebody or they're gonna have to train somebody and that's why to be a leader you know if a young person truly they need to ask themselves do i want to be the boss or do i want to be a leader anybody can be the boss you just yeah. have to raise your hand but to be the leader you got to sacrifice I, I remember when i was in infantry school in the marines i got done at paris island boot camp and then i went to infantry school and got off the bus and wherever it was we were supposed to be, we run in between these two uh, squad bays and it was chaos and unorganized. And I'm like, we're going to get in some trouble, man. You know, I was like 18. I said, wherever this sergeant is, he's going to find us in a minute and wear us out. So I went <laughs> inside the building looking for him and like asking him, what he want us to do so I can get us organized and squared away. That one question made me the squad leader right off the bat. He made me a leader cause I was leading. I went in, you know, I, would, I didn't know all that when I was 18, All I I knew is we about to get in. I I know what was going to happen if we didn't get squared away. So I'll square us away if nobody else. So he made me the squad leader. Back in those days, it didn't take me long. And I decided I didn't want to be the squad leader. And I went to his office, told him, this is not for me, sir. He said, why is it? I said, because I don't want to get up 30 minutes before everybody else. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't want to sacrifice. And he knew. He knew. You know, I didn't even understand it back then, but. I knew I didn't want to be the leader if I had to get up early. I like to sleep. I'm a I'm a I'm a night owl. I ain't an early morning person. That was the worst thing about the Marines is getting up so early all the time. But usually they didn't get to sleep too much in those training. But anyway, that was a good example of at that moment I didn't want to accept responsibility. But a lot mm-hmm. of people want the position and the title. So so they just show up and do a poor job at it because they want to be the boss or they want to get the extra check. So if I'm supposed to get up 30 minutes, I could have kept the job and I might not have got up to, you know, 15 minutes earlier instead of 30 or when everybody else did. Then I ain't prepared. I'm a poor leader. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't get in trouble. He didn't say nothing. He just said, OK, and he went and picked somebody else. And I thought it was pretty awesome when I look back on it.
1: Man, that that's so good right there. That little piece right there, that illustration, because if, if everybody could grasp that, that's saying this, look, if you just have that just that 30 minutes of extra effort can excel your career and your leadership so much further, whether that's 30 minutes of reading a day or 30 minutes of listening to a podcast or whatever it is, or 30 minutes of showing up to work early to be more prepared for the start of a shift. But yet so many people will sacrifice all their opportunity of growth just to have that little 30 minute slot, you know? So it's like, on the big scale of things, you know, of your life, are you letting
2: thirty minutes, <laughs> literally, block you from your potential? Yep. You and know? it comes down to values. I mean, what I valued was sleeping. I didn't value being the leader at that time. I care less about being the leader. I was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And but there's some people who wanted to be the, you know, the leader. They wanted that recognition and title and all that stuff. I ain't never cared about that. I mean, even then, I didn't. I all I cared about was sleep. I was a good leader amongst my peers. I got. Two mer- meritorious promotions while I was in from from boot camp, and then later, and I, I did I excelled in the things that I was responsible for. But also, I've always known I, what I didn't want to do. It's the same way though. If you don't want to sacrifice for your team, don't hold your hand up, don't step into that position, or you're gonna have a long, stressful, frustrating career as a boss because those kind of bosses they don't they don't get a lot of buy in, they get a lot of resistance, and that's not a that's that's not the way I want to live my life. Mm-mm. Absolutely. Cameron, I'm better have- now, though, Travis. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anything you want to add, Cameron?
0: Uh, yeah, just had a kind of going on to that next question. I think you touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, there there's a lot that goes into leadership, and uh, what the reality is is not everyone is necessarily called to leadership or or fits uh, into a leadership role. Um, so when someone is contemplating. Uh, whether whether or not they're fit for a leadership role. Uh, how do you know if, if you're the right fit and being a leader?
2: Yeah, and I'd go straight to that point. Is Are you willing to sacrifice for others? Now, now I ain't, again, I ain't talking about being the boss. You ain't got to sacrifice for others. To be the boss. But if you want to be a leader of people, meaning when I say high impact leader, I mean, you're the kind of person people want to follow. They don't have to follow you. They want to follow you. And John Maxwell talks about a. People who follow a leader because they want to are 40% more productive than people who follow a leader because they, they have to. So the ultimate thing is you've got to sacrifice for your team. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've got business owners. I was speaking to a group. We go there every month. They buy 200 of my books. We go there every month to a construction company. It's a small company. They only got like 175 people, construction company. But that leader, he coincidentally he's a former marine i didn't know all that till later he ain't the one that got me in there until i met the owner of the company and but he's a former marine and i'm sure he had to unlearn a lot of stuff just like i did they don't teach you to love and hug on people when you're carrying a rifle (laughs) they teach you to do other stuff so i say this because it's pretty powerful i'll tell them i'll say what kind of leader would you have to be there's 100 people in this room. Everybody doesn't come. He offers it to everybody. He opens it up every month. Volunteer. You come if you want to. He rents out a theater. He pays them for, for the, all their time, travel time, two hours to be in the room with us. He buys the books and pays for the gas in the company trucks to get them all there. You know, he's spending a lot of money, probably about $12,000, $15,000 a month. Mm. I said, what kind of leader would you have to be that twelve dollars or $15,000 that you could put in your pocket? Every month, you're the top leader. If there's profit, it goes in your pocket. What kind of leader would you have to be to to invest in a team of people like that? And I look over and I said, you have to be like Bruce sitting right there because he's actually that guy. He's the owner of this company. These books he bought you, he don't know if you're going to go start a fire with him at the fish camp this weekend. Mm-hmm. but He's trying to help you have a better life. He's trying to grow and develop you as as leaders. But what I'm telling you that is he's willing to sacrifice. He's given up. I mean, we haven't been there seven months. It ain't been seven in a row because COVID, you know, delayed us a little bit. And sometimes their production schedule would, whatever they're doing, delays it. But I think we started last June or July, but we'd be going the eighth time next month, you know, in the last year. And I mean, it's just, a, it's amazing what some of the leaders would do for their folks. But a, a frontline leader All they got to do something like Travis said, show up early. Yeah. Treat the people with respect. If you call a meeting at two o'clock, be there at two o'clock. Don't think because you're the boss, you can come in five minutes late and ten minutes late, but they can't. They got to come sit there and do nothing and wait on you like you're somebody special. You ain't nobody special. They're somebody special. Mm. That's the way you ought to treat them. They all treat you the same, too. They ought to show up at two o'clock if the meeting's at two o'clock. It's Mm -hmm. mutual respect. And you know what companies do? We talk about that is we talked about values a little bit earlier. What I try to help leaders understand is you're trying to create a common set of values that everybody can align themselves to. Because if you're not doing leadership development, what, you just got a melting pot of whatever values everybody brings today and you just hope it turns out okay. As soon as you start down a formal structured leadership path, now you're starting to teach everybody this. Everybody get, who's attracted can come to it. Everybody who's repelled can get away. And then now this is who we are. If you want to be a part of this, come on. If you don't, we're going to love you, but we're going to miss you. Most companies yep. don't have that common set of principles and values. And the top leaders got to decide what is that. But again, you can do it for your team, whatever level you're at. Mm-hmm. You can't stop the bleeding from up top, but you can make sure that it ain't getting on somebody below you.
0: Yeah, and often, often the challenge for, for new and young leaders, I know myself and Travis probably experienced this. I know you probably have. As well, uh, Mac, is when you get into that 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 first leadership role, you know, we're also focused on taking care of our team, building that right culture. And oftentimes we forget to take care of ourselves and develop ourselves and having that right balance. So how do how do new and young leaders and even us, how how, how do we balance that properly?
2: It's pretty tough, man. It's real tough. And I'm going to tell you one reason is one of the hardest reasons. We already touched on a lot of the principles. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the hardest reasons, most most people, whoever the top leaders are, and then it works its way down, just like both of you, I don't know what you literally do, but your company may be different or y'all may be starting to be different. But most companies, most of the formal authority leaders, their job is management. Yeah. Their, their job, they, they got a full plate. Let's say you work there eight hours, although you're probably there 10 or 12 hours. Let's say you're there eight hours. Most of that eight hours, your your responsibility is management of things and processes. Yeah, and and because you've never developed yourself, you also manage the people. That's not a good thing. But somewhere, you know, if you're in a normal type company that doesn't do leadership development, you've got to want it so bad that at home you're going to read, or on the way to work you're going to listen to a podcast, or you're going to turn off the, you know, whatever you watch normally on the weekends, watch some YouTube videos or something, you know, what you got to develop yourself on the outside. And the reason is you are busy with management tasks and activities. That's what you got to do to keep your job. Most places you do not have to lead people well to keep your job. You just got to be a good boss. There's a wide gap between good boss and leading people well. And so you got to develop yourself just a little bit so that you can start growing and developing the people because remember that 40% that I told you about, Mm -hmm. you got to learn to lead in a way that those people want to follow you, all of them, as many as possible, want to. Because you imagine each one of them, if they don't want to follow you and they just do it because they haven't grown and developed themselves and they don't have options, those people who want to leave but they don't, it's called quit and stay. The people who quit but stay, they don't want to <laughs> follow you as a leader. If they're on your team, though, you're responsible. How do I build a relationship so they want to follow me? Because imagine if you got, if you got 10 people that don't want to follow you, production, that's the equivalent of four more people. You start leading. I mean, I know this, and high-impact leaders that I know know this, and they do it. They lead in such a way people want to follow. And when people want to follow, they can't give you a raise. If you're my boss, I can't give you a raise if I appreciate you. I can't let you off work early. You're the boss. I'm not the boss. What I can do is perform well. If I value the way you treat me in our relationship, I'm going to perform well. And the more that I perform well, the easier your job's gonna be. But if you're just managing me, just like I'm a thing in a process, it, it's gonna be rough. So the reason I'm telling you, you gotta grow and develop it because yourself on your own, again, most people won't, because throughout that eight hour day, whenever you do not have to manage, you have to choose to lead, but you gotta know how to lead and to do it. You may only get to choose to lead for two minutes hmm. and then you're managing for 30 minutes. Yeah. And you got a five-minute slot that if you know how to lead, you can lead. you got to work on these little bitty slivers. And really, these slivers are interactions with people about people stuff, not about work stuff. You with me? you yeah. got to be able to just jump in there for just a minute, maybe just ask the question or don't give a direction. You know, I, I talk about lead with questions, not directions. If you're super busy with management, you're going to... You're going to develop a bad habit of telling people what to do because it's fast. Yep. I, can tell you, I already know what you're supposed to do. I've been there a hundred times. I can just tell you what to do. I have people sometimes say, how do I get my team to think for themselves or my children to think for themselves? I like quit telling them what to do. Hmm. But if you're busy, you're going to tell people what to do. If you come to me and you you don't know how to do algebra and I say, Cameron, let me do that for you right quick. I, give, I do it and I hand it back. How long are you going to keep coming asking me about algebra? Every
0: day. Every day, yeah.
2: Every day till I teach you or you learn it somewhere else. But mm-hmm. if I slow down, to, it's a lean principle from lean manufacturing. If I slow down to go fast, I'm going to teach you how to do it. And I may have to slow down a few times, but eventually you don't come ask me. And then if I want to lead you and reward you as a leader, I'm teaching you about leadership. I say, hey, how about you pull everybody together now and teach them that? And then you got to do it. I don't have to do it. And you want to do it. If we got a good relationship, you want to help me because I helped you and you want to help them because you knew what it was like when you didn't know how to do it. But that's freeing my time up. Now, nobody comes to ask me to do algebra. That's just, you know, a bad example, probably algebra, but it's anything. Mm -hmm. It takes longer to ask a question and actually lead people than it does to give a direction and manage people. Yeah. So there's tons and tons of principles that a young leader you everyone you master you freeing up time you eliminating frustration you you lowering resistance It's your job as the leader it ain't your boss's job to teach you you can't say well my boss never taught me all this okay what's I got to do with you
1: hmm. that's so true so kind of going into our last little uh kind of segment here and it's I think this is the question I'm most excited about because it's super relevant to what we're uh what we're going through right now. And and Mac, I heard you speak to this on one of your recent podcasts that I was listening to a couple of days ago. You know, a lot of companies are struggling right now. I mean, I'm sure you're getting phone calls and talking to people all the time. So, Cause I know I'm I'm talking to people and they're not able to hire. Recruiting is pretty much almost dried up in some senses, where companies that used to be able to put an application, you know, put a posting out and they would get, you know, you know, a hundred applications, they're getting two and three. Um, and many people, you know, turn around and immediately blame this on uh, it's the federal unemployment benefits or it's the, the maybe the, the pay is not high enough. And, and all those things, I'm sure, play at a certain level of of, the, of a factor in it. But, uh, you know, a lot of leaders are taking this and using this as the crutch that they're leaning on right now. of saying, well, you know, until until the federal government stops paying or until my company, you know, raises the pay wages, then. I'm just going to lean on this and I'm not, I'm not going to take any responsibility for this, uh, for what's going on. You know, what What do you have, what do you have to say to that?
2: Well, I would say that if every company was the same, that, that might be a legit excuse, but every company is not the same. And I use us as example. Let's say you got a company, Travis, and I got a company and I'm, I'm going to make you the bad guy. Cause it's easier for me to tell the story from this side. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make you the bad guy. You, you, the guy that, they can't find any, any good people. You say I, can, I, I can't find good people. When I get them, they won't stay. I hear that it's just ridiculous. And I, before the pandemic, I always heard the employ- unemployment rates so low, just can't find any, any good people. Everybody that wants to work, so work. When I'm speaking, I kind of do this scenario with somebody, and I and, and I say, I say, Travis, have, have have you ever hired anybody who didn't have a job? And you know you probably you probably have. I say, have you ever? I said so that let's say unemployment six percent like it is today. You if you hired somebody that didn't have a job, that was they come from the six percent pool, right? Mm-hmm. I say, have you ever hired somebody who had a job? They had to turn in a notice before they could come work on your team. You ever did that, Travis?
1: Yeah, a couple, a couple times. Of okay,
2: course. So, so so they came from the ninety four percent. They had a job, right? Mm-hmm. So. So we got a hundred percent of the workforce to pull from. We got we got everybody at work who's got a job that we can attract, and we got people who don't have a job that we can attract. The reason we can't attract people is nobody want to work here, <laughs> unless they have to. I mean, if we don't have a line of people waiting to get in the door, probably nobody wants to work here except that people that have to that don't have an option. And what I teach in that culture book. Everybody, if if you don't see everybody on your team, and I don't care what level you're at, I don't care if you're a a team leader, a supervisor, it doesn't matter, ops manager, CEO. If you don't understand everyone on your team is a brand ambassador, there's a lot that you don't know about. Because everybody in your company, when they at the ball game on Friday night, football season, they sit next to the other kids' parents, they say, what's it like to work at XYZ? The number one thing that's going to determine what they come out of their mouth, not the only thing, but the number one thing is a relationship with their boss. Mm. If they like the boss, they're going to talk about how good the boss is and how good the company is. If they don't like the boss, they're going to talk about how bad the boss is and how bad the company is. Everybody, it's a principle I teach in a lot of my books, talk about it's called word of mouth advertisement. People are advertising about what it's like to work for you guys, literally, each one of you, everybody on your team every day is talking about. You, what it's like to work on your team. They do it at work. They do it at home. They do it to the new folks. They do it to folks who've been there for a long time. That stuff matters because, see, the, the people who work in your organization determine who wants to work there by what they say. And in that book, I teach how do you become the sought after employer of choice? And I break that into two components to become a sought after employer means people who do not work there have a very strong desire to work there. And then how do you become an employee is how do you become a sought after employer is first you got to become an employer of choice, which means everybody who already works there has a very strong desire to keep working there. It means you're going to, have to get in line. These people don't want to leave. They won't tell you how good it is, but you probably ain't going to get in. You've probably seen those kind of companies in different industries mm-hmm. through, throughout your career. Those kind of companies, they could go build a plant in the middle of Arizona in the desert build a big old plant, going to have 10,000 people work there and people going to move from all around the world to work there today. All they got to do is open the door. Then there's other people who can't find any good people. And when they get good ones, they won't stay. That's because they move into Arizona. Y'all with me? Absolutely. Who you are as a leader at the top, all the way down, it matters. And I'm going to tell you, it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage. See, a lot of people don't know this. Your culture Is a competitive advantage or disadvantage? And you don't get to decide which one it is. Your competition decides which one it is. Hmm. If your competition's culture is better than yours, your culture is a disadvantage. If your culture is better than your competition's, your culture is an advantage. But you don't know what everybody's culture is like. That's why you better get to work on it. Because the people know because they're out talking about it. They talk about it on LinkedIn. It's on Glassdoor. It's, every, it's all over the place. Yeah. You can't hide who you are as a company or as a leader. You can hide what you think. But once you start taking actions, you are translating them thoughts into reality for the world to see.
1: That's so true. I, I could tell you that I, I know at least twice in my career that I've I've passed over potential, you know, raises and other opportunities that was going to put more money in my bank account because I, I wanted to stick with the leader I was working for. That, that mattered more to me than making a little bit more money and going somewhere else. Um, and I and I think that's there's a lot to be said there. That, you know, if somebody's leaving you for a dollar, a dollar raise, it's not because of the money. It's because of the leadership.
2: What if? What if they leased you for a dollar cut? You think it's about the money? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that happens too.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So before we uh, we start wrapping up, you know, we kind of, I kind of had two questions. I know, Cameron, if you want to take the first one, I'll take the the last one that's on here. It's kind of some open ended questions that we always ask on the podcast. Question number seven. Oh yeah,
0: sorry. <laughs> um, you know, to, to to wrap this up, what do you think is is the number one piece of advice that you have for for new and and young leaders?
2: Today, I'd say it's who you are matters. That simple. Who you are, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Again, it doesn't matter who you are really to be the boss. I'm talking about. To be a high-impact leader who leads with character, who leads with moral authority, not formal authority, who you are 24-7, 365. Mm-hmm. Who you are when you ain't at work. who you, I mean, who you are as a person. Because everything we're talking about that I'm talking about in my books, it's about character. You know, when <laughs> before I started reading these books, and I was a, a a manager in a plant. I mean, I did a great job in the plant. Got great results. But that's when I lived in Auburn, Alabama, folks come up. They might see me at a, a football game at Auburn University on the weekend. I couldn't walk or talk, man, when I was drinking. Mm. You know, there's some good people in that plant. They didn't know who I was outside of that plant. But yeah. I promise you, some people saw me outside of that plant that talked about me inside of that plant. Yeah. And what they said caused me to lose influence with some people, some people who don't value that sort of thing. It's one of the reasons I quit using profanity. See, I can give you an example. People who cuss, they don't care if I don't cuss as long as I don't judge them for cussing. If they cuss, and I don't, most time they don't ever even notice that. I. They don't even know. They just know I ain't saying it then. They don't care as long as I don't say, hey, you need to quit talking like that. And I would never say that. But people people who don't use profanity, if they heard me doing it, like Jimmy Collins, former Chick-fil-A president and COO, if I talked like that to that man, he wouldn't be my friend and mentor. Mm. I guarantee you I would never have had that relationship. Yeah, And if I pretended to be that way and then he heard me on some social media or something or, or he, I saw him somewhere in town, someplace, and I didn't know he was there and he heard me talking, spewing off some junk like I used to talk, I wouldn't have that relationship. Everybody's always watching. And that's what I learned is I, if I want to lead at a high level, I got to try to do everything I can do to lead and influence people, all people, well. And so it matters because I ask people sometime. Do you like two-faced people? I'll ask them. Nobody ever raises a hand. They like two-faced people. I say I don't either. But I used to be twelve faces. When I used to drink alcohol, my wife's grandparents didn't even know it. They didn't know I used profanity. They they didn't know. You know, people at work saw one person. My best friend from high school that I hang out with saw a different person. This group of people saw somebody else. But I can tell you today, I'm the same guy twenty-four-seven. My life's good because I don't have to be twelve people to twelve groups of folks. So all I'm saying is if you want to truly climb the high impact leadership mountain, your character stays with you. It's constant. I mean, you can change it slowly over time, but it, it's, it changes slowly over time. I say characters bit built daily, not in a day. Mm. And I just think that's the kind of leadership we're talking about. The person's got to know it's 24, seven, 365. I tell my clients, I said, you're, I said, your, your team could be in your company truck parked at a gas t- station, filling up with gas, got the logo on the truck, got the shirt, patch on the shirt, and they on the phone talking to somebody. Somebody walks up about to do business or ask about doing business with you, and they could hear your team member on the phone talking to some friend somewhere, cussing and you know talking, they ain't no telling what they might be saying. And somebody of a high character going to turn around and walk off, find somebody else to do business with. Oh. But it's the same it's the same on the personal level and I know this stuff I talk about it's, it's a high bar yeah a lot of companies they don't want me in the room they don't want the they don't want the bar that I'm I'm setting they don't want to have to live up to that standard so I don't get called by a lot of people who don't have a high character not if they know who I am and what I'm about because when I get called by somebody who watches me on YouTube or listens to me or reads my stuff on LinkedIn and they're interested I love those calls because if they've been following me they know who I am Somebody who don't have a clue calls me. I got to help them understand who I am because for most of them folks, I I ain't the person to help them. I ain't trying to make a dollar. I'm trying to make a difference. And uh, a lot of people, I turn them down because they want me to come teach their supervisors and leaders to be managers of people. They don't even know the difference. I say, you got the wrong guy. It ain't me.
1: So as we kind of wrap up here, you know, um, I always like to ask, you know, leaders are readers right so what you been reading what's what's been the big book lately
2: well i actually been reading uh john maxwell's leadership he wrote that a while back and i have to say i like a lot of john's book i don't like a lot of that book and the reason is really the, it, just the term leadership it's one of them things you had to i can't quote him and talk about it because i got to explain what leadership is it's one of them words it's like i don't like the words i, I assume the publisher probably picked it because they can they can hashtag it real easy, you know, two short words and, mm-hmm. and share it. But you have to explain it. Even when I'm reading it, I have to think about what he, what he's talking about. But it, it's full of gold. But that's one of the books I read and are reading at the moment. But I tell people that uh, I read a lot of books. And a lot of the books I read, are not for me. I read books and I, I, I go through it. I'm like, I really didn't get nothing out of it. And it's strange. Next week, I meet somebody and I need to tell them about that book. I've done that with so many books where I read a book and I didn't get a lot out of it. But after I read it, I knew somebody pretty soon who needed to read it, who Mm -hmm. I needed to introduce it to. But I tell people, you know, blue collar folks, you are busy. I give people the same goal I have one paragraph a day Mm -hmm. because everybody, all they say is I ain't got time to read. It's so funny, though. They usually got a smartphone and you'll see them at break and they're scrolling. They'll stop for a minute. Usually when they stop for a minute, they're reading something. Because you can look at pictures and keep scrolling. But when you stop and you go real slow, you're usually reading. It don't matter if I'm telling you what I did on vacation or you're reading something about sports or whatever you're interested in, the news. That's reading. People can't say today I really don't like reading because everybody pretty much is reading if they got a smartphone. So I try to make it easy on people. Paragraph a day. It takes you 30 seconds. If you get to that paragraph, you want to read it, 30 seconds, you're done if you kind of like it you can read another paragraph you can read another page sometimes I read a whole book in a day but all I have to read if I'm busy and I'm busy a lot of times is a paragraph but even then I usually read more than a paragraph some people say oh I'm gonna make mine a chapter or a page I'm like don't do that because you may be really busy and you can't do it so you don't do it and then you stop your habit you don't form that habit of going but I've transformed my life with a habit of reading a paragraph a day but I Hardly ever only read a paragraph a day. That's good. I'll tell you a good book I read recently, though, that's a real, real good book for a whole lot of people need to read it. It's, it's uh, oh, man, I forgot the name of it. I think it's the. It's either the four levels or the five levels of engagement. Uh, uh, excuse me. What's the word now? Just lost it trying to think of the name of. It. Uh, attachment. It's either the four levels or the five levels of attachment. Uh, I got to read it again. It's one of them I want to read again. It was really good, but it talks about when we become attached. I mean, our, there's a lot going on in our world, and a lot of people are at the fanatical level of attachment, but it could be mm-hmm. sports. You know, people, they lose a ball game and go out and get in a fight or to kill somebody because somebody lost a ball game. It doesn't even matter. And <laughs> these other people go watch the same ball game. They don't care who wins or loses because they ain't attached at any level. And then some people go and they like one team because they got a red jersey and I like red. You know, I'm attached a little bit. And then there's other people who go and maybe they went to school at, at this college or whatever. And so or they live in this town. They pull for that team. They're a little bit more attached. But the highest level is that fanatical attachment. And, you know, when I read that book, I'm like, man, I can see where I used to be this way in some levels. But because of all my growth, I've, I've naturally all that stuff fell away. I really am not attached You know, I was attached to John Maxwell when I first started going. He was like the guru, you know. like I don't even talk about John Maxwell really hardly ever anymore. I quote him, but used to. That's all I talked about, daylight to dark. I quoted a million John Maxwell quotes on my Facebook when I started. (laughs) You know, everything was John Maxwell. And I tell people, I went and spoke one time. I took five levels of leadership. I took 25 copies of the book. I went and spoke to senior-level VPs of Continuous Improvement. They were all leading multi-billion dollar global companies. That's how they had they had to be to be in the room. Companies like Coca-Cola, Delta, and all those folks. And there's 2013. I took them, these five levels of leadership. That's my second favorite book, by the way, of all time is that book. Number one is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I tell you, if, if you can only read two books in your life and you want to be a high impact leader, read those two. But mm-hmm. I, I took them, the books, passed them out. I said, how many of you guys ever uh, heard of John Maxwell? The three hands out of like 16 people went up. I said, no, I'm serious. I said, I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand all day. I just want to know just one time where you do it. And three people. Hmm. And I tell people this. I, I talked. I had a 30-minute slot. And I talked about nobody knew who John Maxwell was. And I everybody knew who Max Story was because I was the one in the room. And I spent my 30 minutes talking about John. I didn't tell him nothing about who I was. And that's when I pulled the trigger on all that. And I said, I'm going to build my own brand. And you know, three people knew him 17, 16 knew me. And I talked about somebody else. And so that was a lesson. John's a great guy. I just tell people if you're going to be in this space, I don't know what all you guys, you two, especially what y'all personally aspire to. But the sooner you start building your personal brand, the faster you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Because you'll put all the energy into selling you that you'll put into selling somebody else, you're going to be much more effective because usually you're talking to somebody. Uh-huh. Don't, you know, don't, uh, don't avoid the standing on his shoulders. It's great. He let us stand on his shoulders. I mean, I got a lot of value out of it, but I went and got what I needed. I mined the gold and then I moved on. So, and you guys are doing it. You're doing it right here on this podcast. You build your own brand.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, before we go, I want to give you an opportunity because, I mean, obviously, um, I've learned so much from you through books, conversations, podcasts, YouTube. What is the best way for guy- people to get a hold of you? Um, you know, if they want, to, if they want to learn more about, you know, what you do, or, or you know, want to want to follow up with watching watch more content or listening to more content, where can they where can they find all that?
2: yeah dot is the main website, and again, you can download. A lot of my books, and there's a link to download a lot of my wife's books. Not the whole book, but excerpts. A lot of five-chapter sections of my books at uh, bluecollarleadership.com forward slash download. And uh, LinkedIn is my primary social media. I put something on there about every day. I've got hundreds of articles out there. I've got a Blue Collar Leadership podcast on pretty much all platforms. i got over 200 episodes and, and put out a new one every week, Friday morning. And my cell phone number is three. 728 4143. People can call me straight. I tell people, I'm you want to talk about personal growth, leadership, development? I'm open 24 7, 365, but I ain't always available, but I'm always open. So I usually get back with you within 12 hours if you call me or within 24 hours at, at a minimum. People say, Why don't you give your phone number out on social media and videos and podcasts? I'm like, I want people to call me. That's why.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: And I will 100% back that up. You know,
1: me and you've had a couple of conversations that's gone for a couple of hours in depth and you've you've been very generous with your time. So that's, that is greatly appreciated. And we thank you for spending some time with our audience and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. We really appreciate it. I yeah, appreciate thank you, Mac. Uh, I definitely learned a lot as well. So we're going to wrap it up. So we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Leadership Download. Till then, be well. Take care. Thank you. All right, let me end this.